A recent study shows that over 60% of pastors in America do not have a biblical worldview. And worse yet, only a little over one out of every 10 youth pastors do. And we take a look at the motivations behind the most recent shootings in Buffalo and Orange County. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at some very serious and sad and disturbing topics, not only with some of the more recent killings that took place, these racist and politically motivated death sprees that these two different men went on. And it's very interesting when we see that one only being an 18-year-old and the other being a 68-year-old man, and yet wickedness abounding in their heart nonetheless. But before we get into that, I do want to talk about the recent Barna study that came out regarding pastors and their view on biblical I guess, understanding uh, biblical views, a worldview, and the way they see things and how they're teaching it to people. It is a startling, startling study, but one that probably doesn't come to the surprise of many who have visited plenty of churches here in the United States, if you are from this area. And it is heartbreaking to see this recent Barna study because the nationwide study of about a thousand pastors found that just slightly more than A third, 37% of the U.S. pastors hold a biblical worldview. The majority, 62%, possess a hybrid view known as syncretism. And this has been more of a common practice the more and more we have seen in the American church people getting away from really exegeting the text of Scripture, going maybe verse by verse, or at least doing topical studies that actually relate to what the Bible says versus what somebody's great story that they might have and tale that they might tell and different example that they might give on a Sunday morning. And this is something that is devastating to hear. But like I said, it is not surprising because so many people have seeked out the sensitivities of the world in order to see what they should be preaching and teaching And this seeker-sensitive movement that has taken over so much of the church does not care about having a full biblical worldview, does not care about really chiseling out and understanding what does God have to say in this text. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can ever get when we go to a—I think one of the most dangerous things would be a Bible study. There are so many Bible studies that start off just like this. They read a text, and they will ask the question— Well, what does this text mean to you when that question honestly does not matter? The answer to that question does not matter. We should all say when we read a text, what is God trying to say through this text? And that switch, that change, and that mentality will lead us away from this place where we're no longer caring what God actually says, and we're simply just trying to synchronize with the world and make Christianity appetizing to the outside world because all that gets you over and over again are false converts. And this is so dangerous 
But one of the things, when I read this study, that probably was the most startling, but was the understanding that the youth pastors are far worse in this, in that only, only 13% of teaching pastors and 12% of children's and youth pastors have a biblical worldview. Now, so many people, and, and I've been involved in youth ministry for over a decade now, and raising up different young men in Christ. In fact, plenty of the people here that work at Good Fight Ministries, uh, like Tommy Paneri, like Josh, were in the youth group when I started teaching. And the truth is, is that somebody who is set aside to really reach out and mentor to these young kids, it can be such a powerful witness and a powerful discipleship to happen. But when we see this disconnect and we see a kingdom divided against itself from the head pastor down through the associate pastors and elders and teachers, and then the youth pastor, guys, it is so dangerous, especially, I remember uh, Joe had mentioned, Pastor Joe, Good Fight Ministries, had mentioned a long time ago that a one of the bigger churches here in Simi Valley, he was talking with the pastors, and he said one of the most dangerous things is that the youth pastors always, over and over again, are using this as a stepping stone in order to become a head pastor, and usually will convey a lot of times how they disagree with the head pastor in this, you know, in this certain thing or in this aspect. And a lot of times that relationship is so fragmented rather than using it as a time for discipleship. And I can say this, for our youth groups over the years, we have always met on Wednesday nights, we've done different events and so forth, but the meeting of the believers on the first day of the week with the body of Christ for the communion, for fellowship, for the Word of God, and for worship, that takes place as a body together. We don't separate our high schoolers and middle schoolers away from their parents, from that discipleship, and from the teaching of the elders in the church and the head pastor and so forth. And I think that that should be, my personal conviction is that is important to make sure that's going on and that ultimately what's taking place is mentorship. And it is sad that so few youth pastors are actually, and I mean, guys, this isn't a small study. This is a thousand pastors being interviewed, being asked very simple question about sin, salvation, their daily living, and whether or not it lines up with a biblical worldview. And to have less than one in 10, think about as a parent, you handing your child off to someone, and it's a one in 10 chance at a church that you're going to be handing them off to someone who actually believes what the Bible says. This is beyond dangerous, and it's no wonder all of these deconstruction movements in all of these churches, when these kids are being handed over to teachers from the Sunday school up that do not believe the Bible to actually be the Word of God to the point where it's more important than their opinion. Because syncretism is idolatry. It is placing either the views of someone else or your own views above the written word of God. And that right there is idolatry. It is saying, I am going to worship a God of my own making and I am going to mold him up. And I, I'm telling you this, this is my personal conviction and I want to preach against it because it was this very view that turned me 
as a young kid going to churches and seeing these things and and developing my own God and creating him in my image that led me into atheism. And so I want to be very careful about that. And I want to make sure that when I see these things and I see these studies and they reflect the same things that I was seeing as a non-believer, that we speak out against it and we say, no, we're going to make sure people have a biblical understanding of what the gospel is, sin and salvation, the nature of man, the nature of God. These things are so important. It's bad enough that the youth pastors, but to only have 30 7% of the thousand pastors that were interviewed, only 37% of them having a biblical worldview. This is devastating. This is an absolute mark of heresy sneaking into the churches, creeping in unnoticed, and it breaks my heart. And this is why we're seeing the fruitlessness of so many churches. And I and I do love the fact that there are pre- plenty, plenty of brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm not talking about, oh, you got to believe this exact thing or this exact thing. I have for a number of years, and so has Pastor Joe, met with our local pastors here in Simi Valley, and we have a number of brothers and sisters in Christ that we say, this guy is a great brother in Christ. We may differ in some doctrinal issues, but guess what? This guy's a brother in Christ, and he's leading people to know Jesus. But when somebody doesn't have a biblical worldview, We need to stand up against it. We need to point it out, mark them, avoid them, and warn people to go nowhere near it, especially when it deals with the development of our young children. And speaking of that, we get into these recent hate crimes, and specifically when when we're talking about young children. The truth is, is that if you are not the ones molding them, if you are not the one as as a father, I, I, I have to plead with this, As a father, if you are not watching over your children and and guiding them, they will be taken by some other philosophy. They will be taken by somebody else who will mentor them. And whether that's TikTok, whether that's 4chan, or whether it's Instagram, they are going to be mentored by somebody. And sometimes they might just be bored and next thing you know, become an avid racist lunatic shooting people up. That may sound crazy, But actually, that's what recently took place with none other than Peyton Gendron. For months, as 18-year-old Peyton Gendron formulated a plan to kill dozens of black people in Buffalo, he worked to keep his racist plot a secret from his family. According to Gendron's postings online, quote, I literally can't wait any longer. My parents know something is wrong, end quote. He wrote on April 15th, musing about when to carry out a planned shooting that took place Saturday, leaving 10 people dead at a Buffalo supermarket. And it's kind of interesting because when we look at some of the things that he specifically said and some of the things that he got into that led him to a place that at 18 year old, he killed 10 people simply because they were a different race. He said in his manifesto posted, in the manifesto, Gendron claims that he was radicalized on 4chan while he was, quote, bored at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic in early 2020. Think about this. This young man sitting in his house, going on different websites, specifically 4chan, and guess what? becoming so bored that he looked into some of these racist diatribes online 
and looking at them became radicalized. Through his research, the self-described white white supremacist and anti-Semite came to see low white birth rates around the world as a crisis that, quote, will ultimately result in the complete racial and cultural replacement of the European people. Guys, this eugenic dystopia that that so many people are are going after. Don't think this is a, a minute, small amount of people. There are plenty of people on every side, in every facet, from every single race that really believe their race specifically needs to have this utopia where we all live and everything will be fine once we're all together. And this is simply, once again, idolatry. These people who are believing this and practicing this think that they can build their own kingdom of heaven here on earth through whatever it may may be. Margaret Sanger was doing eugenics to kill off black people through Planned Parenthood, and guess what? He is doing it with a gun, what she was doing with her very lips. And this is why the book of Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue because she used her wicked tongue in order to have millions and millions of black babies murdered so that she can have a utopia. And this man, following the words of so many other people and seeing other mass murderers, then that hatred in his heart was displayed out with a bullet and a bullet and a bullet. In his manifesto, he repeatedly cites another white supremacist shooter who killed 51 people and injured 40 others at a Christ church in New Zealand mosque in 2019. Like Gendron, that murderer live-streamed his attack, and he told investigators he was also a frequent visitor of 4chan. And don't think that he only wanted to kill black people. In fact, he blamed Jews for all of this as well. He said, started planning his attack back in January and chose the top supermarket in Buffalo because it had the highest black population and percentage. And don't think that the black people he targeted were the only people he had in his sights when he had this murderous rampage. In fact, he said this, In his manifesto, the real war I'm advocating for is the Gentiles versus the Jews. We outnumber them a hundred times, and they are not strong by themselves. By their Jewish ways, they turn us against each other. When you realize this, you will know that the Jews are the biggest problem the Western world has ever had. They must be called out and killed. Of course, it just seems to be not even strange bedfellows, but bedfellows all the time of people that hate certain races. They seem to hate blacks and they seem to hate Jews over and over again. This seems to be so common. And like their father, the devil, they continue to go in their murderous, hateful ways. And it's interesting because the book of Proverbs uh, chapter 26 says this, He who hates disguises it in his lips, but lays up deceit in his heart. Think about this man hiding this from his family as a young man bored one day during the pandemic and then hiding this and saying, I got to go forth with this plan. Otherwise, my parents are going to find out. And this is what it says. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. 
This is so important that we understand this, that somebody may try to take you aside and convince you to have this hatred and that really once we have this, we'll have this esoteric really is what it is. And ultimately they will try to get you and make you think that you'll be able to create this heaven on earth. And if you just have your utopia and you are able to just have your race of people, then you'll be happy. That's not what the Bible describes. The Bible is very clear. One, that when it comes to the gospel, according to Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. When it comes to the gospel, it is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it is the deutimous power. It's the dynamite power of God to save anybody who will come to him, whether Scythian or barbarian or otherwise. And when I see in the book of Revelation, every nation every kindred, every tongue, worshiping Jesus Christ, I recognize that that's God's utopia, a real one, one that we're going to have forever and ever. And I don't care what somebody's color is, how much melanin they have on their skin. I get to worship Jesus right alongside of them forever. And really, this man is simply someone who had hate in his heart and someone at 18 years old who was not watched over properly. Clearly, at this age, to to have this plan and to manifest it and actually go forward with it, it is heartbreaking to think. And I think of the words of Jesus quite clearly when it comes to, I believe, the inauguration of the new covenant and him giving the details of what the new covenant will look like in practice. In Matthew chapter 5, When Jesus is on the Mount of Beatitudes, here are some of the things that he said. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't believe this man was even persecuted by anybody. I don't believe these people who he killed were his enemy whatsoever. But even if we have an enemy, even if we have someone who is persecuting us, we are supposed to to love them. We are not supposed to have hatred in our heart. We're supposed to love them and hopefully win them to Christ. And I think of Paul the Apostle specifically, when he tells us that anybody could be saved, he tells us that in light of what? The fact that he, someone who was having Christians killed, someone who looked and watched as Stephen was stoned and they threw their cloaks at his feet as he looked over his very death, the martyrdom of Stephen. And yet that same Paul would then just radically get saved and guess what? Would build up the church. God would use someone like him. So even our enemies. And God's word says this, clearly Jesus in that same Sermon on the Mount said, you have heard that the ancients were told, do not commit murder. And then Jesus goes as far to say that if you have hatred in your heart for your brother, that you're a murderer. And in fact, in 1 John chapter 3, when it actually describes specifically, when it describes specifically that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them, that's in the context of hating your brother. And sadly enough, this was not the only murderous rampage that took place. Not too far from us, only less than an hour. Another reason, and and sadly enough, this was political means, David Chow, a 68-year-old man, actually went 
and killed someone, and he wanted to kill more. And, and I want to read from the story. The gunman who allegedly killed a doctor and wounded five others after opening fire in a California church was charged with murder on Tuesday. Officials said David Chow, 68, of Las Vegas, will be eligible for the death penalty for attempting to execute in cold blood as many people in that room as possible during the mass shooting, prosecutors said Tuesday. Chow allegedly lurked inside of the Irvine Taiwanese Presbyterian Church in Laguna Woods for hours before he chained the doors shut and started shooting worshipers inside. He did everything he could to fit in and to make himself one of them. Chow, a licensed security guard in Nevada, had intended to kill as many people as possible. So why did he do this? According to the sheriff, we believe, based on what we've discovered so far, that he specifically targeted the Taiwanese community. According to Barnes, Chow was born in mainland China and at some point relocated to Taiwan before moving to the United States. Chow apparently had an issue with Taiwanese people because of the way he was treated while living there. And sadly enough, this thing is all too common. Something like this to take place where someone treats them bad and so automatically everyone from the Taiwanese community He stores up this hatred. He stores up this root of bitterness that defiles many. That this takes place in his heart where he begins to hate anyone that is Taiwanese. It is heartbreaking. And it makes me think of a story, and I want to leave this on a better note. But many of you uh, might have known the story of Louis Zamperini. And that story is one that is close to my heart. Louis Zamperini, I believe, was somebody who was able to lay some seeds down that eventually eventually did take root right before my grandfather passed away recently. And the stories that he would tell of forgiveness were things that actually stuck out in my mind, even as a non-believer. And for those who don't know, Louis Zamperini was a runner in the Olympics. And Louis, his story is wild. It was a best-selling novel. And it also became a movie. It actually became a couple of movies. And Louis' story was beautiful because it was wild. And if you didn't know he loved Jesus, you might think some of it couldn't be true with how many things happened and what took place to that man. And not only being uh, caught while trying to steal a Nazi flag down during the Berlin Olympics to also actually having his plane shot down and then only to survive being out in the ocean, faking death and then literally killing birds in order to stay alive and eat them raw right there on a raft, only to then be found in a war camp where he would specifically be targeted by somebody who went by the name of Bird. But all of that to say... After going through that and coming back to America, having what was undiagnosed at the time as PTSD and turning over to alcohol, um, I mean, just some, just a radical story and his story that was used for bonds to help fund the military in their fight, that same story was the one that he was reliving over and over again and turning to alcohol until eventually he ended up coming to Christ. And when he came to Christ, rather than storing up that bitterness, he actually went back to Japan, the very place where he was over and over again beat and treated terribly. 
but that renewed heart, renewed mind, that thing where we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. As Jesus gave us the new covenant, in the new covenant, we're called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Louis actually went back to Japan and shared the gospel and shared the fact that he had forgiven a number of the men who had beat him, who had ridiculed him, who had mocked him, and who had hurt him over and over again. But Louis found the truth of the gospel and the forgiveness that we have. And I believe that when we see the darkness of our own sin, when we see how wicked our own sin is, I believe it is only then that we understand why we need to forgive others because of the debt that has been forgiven by God in us. Because in the prayer that the Lord gives us, I know a lot of people call it the Lord's Prayer, but Jesus never prayed this prayer. He taught us to pray this prayer because Jesus never sinned. So he didn't need to pray for forgiveness for his sins. But Jesus gave a commentary on the Lord's Prayer. Not only, and he talked about some great things, right? Hallowed be the night. Make God's name holy. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Deliver us from the evil one. But forgive us our sins or our debts as we forgive those who have debt or have sinned against us. That was the only thing that Jesus gave commentary on. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And when we see how wicked our sin has been towards God, it is much easier to forgive someone who has wronged us. And so just as Louis learned that lesson, I pray for anyone that is lost that they would learn that lesson, that they would recognize that you yourself would take a good look and the law of God is supposed to be used as a mirror, not to turn around and point it at others and tell them how wicked they are, but to look at yourself and say, I'm missing the mark. I need to make sure I'm in Christ and I want to walk with him. And I'm recognizing the reflection where there's parts of me that aren't enough like Jesus. And I need God to continue that sanctification process in me. And for those who are not saved, you don't know Jesus understand the debt has been paid by Jesus Christ, that horrible death on a cross on your behalf so that you could know to tell us die. They have been paid in full. You turn to him, you put your trust in him, and you put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that when God sees you, when God looks at you on the day of judgment, he won't see you, he won't weigh out your good and bad deeds. The only person he will see is Jesus Christ. Christ. He'll see those words pot and paid for. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. This has been Chad Davidson. This is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.